uh, a very little time in the text in Matthew chapter 5 and, and uh, finding other passages in the Bible that deal thoroughly and, and uh, several different uh, things we're trying to accomplish here. Number one, just trying to illustrate the fact that the best commentary that you can find on the Bible is the Bible itself. Uh, but you have to know where to look. You have to spend some time studying so that you can find that. Another thing is, as we study the Bible, a specific verse, we're looking at verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A- as we study that concept, as we study that verse in other passages of the Bible, it, it gives us a different view, a new perspective, a uh, 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 many times uh, greater insight into the actual message here. And, of course, you have to understand one thing about your Bible. Your Bible is not a theological textbook. Uh, your Bible is not something that is full of these incredible ideas that smart people are supposed to sit in private rooms and think about. The Bible is a manual for practical Christian living. In fact, there's one rule of understanding the Scripture, one rule of, of uh, people call it interpretation, and, and most of the time that's what they do. Uh, they change the Bible so that it helps them. That's interpretation. Uh, somebody speaks in another language, it's got to be interpreted. They've got to change what that person said in Portuguese or Greek or Chinese, because if you don't change it, I have no clue what you said. The Bible is not meant to be interpreted. It's meant to be obeyed. There's a difference. And... When Jesus is making these statements, the Beatitudes, they're not platitudes. How many of you know the difference between platitudes and Beatitudes? Uh, Platitude is a nice saying. It'll get better. How many of you believe that? If you do, what I would like to challenge you to do is study the prospects for President of the United States. And that platitude uh, takes on a whole new... Scariness, doesn't it? You see, platitudes are nice saying. Beatitudes are pathways to God's blessings. How many of you would like more of God's blessing in your life? I'll tell you, we've received a lot of blessings through the ministry of Brother C.J. and Brother Darren this week. Uh, I was getting phone calls from uh, different city agencies saying, you're making too much noise, you're working after hours, you're doing this, you're doing that. And what I was supposed to be doing was putting up the scaffolding so that the asbestos guys could work the next day. And so I'm fielding the phone calls and talking, and, and the more and the longer it goes, the more concerned I'm getting that this scaffolding still has to be built, and we've got to be off the platform at 6 o'clock and all of this. And I go back there, and 
All of a sudden, Brother Darren shows up and says, do you have, some, uh, do you have the anchors for the post? And I said, what do you need those for? He said, well, we're building a scaffolding for you. You know, I didn't have to explain to them what to do. They did it. And we got the job done. You see, those are blessings. That's where God puts things together. You see, this beatitude, this blessing says that we're going to see God. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you would like to see God? Hmm? I'm going to see Him one day. But that's not what this verse says. It doesn't say, Blessed are the pure in heart, for someday you will see God. What does it say? It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, let's take a moment here and run to Exodus chapter 24. And we have several instances in the Bible where God reveals himself in certain ways to certain people. But this is the biggest group, the the largest number of people, I mean the prophets and different uh, individuals saw God, but this is the 70 elders of Israel walk with Moses. And it says here in verse 9 of chapter 24, the book of Exodus, Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. Now, could you imagine that? Now, how many of you are familiar with who Nadab and Abihu are? Were. They were the eldest sons of Aaron. They were the ones that offered strange fire before the Lord and died. You see, just because you see God, as these people, is no guarantee of obedience. They saw the God of Israel. He allowed Himself to be revealed to them that they could see and understand. And Nadab and Abihu went down as they built the ark and, and the tabernacle and put everything into place. They violated the simplest and the most holy principle of God and and died instantly for that. Yet, this beatitude says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, I know that's talking about one day in heaven we're going to see Him face to face. But I believe there's an application that we can see God now. You see, we see God how? Through faith. Amen? 
How many of you have been to the land of Israel? My hand's not up. I've never been there. But we, I know several people that have, and uh, they argue about where everything is. I mean, the Catholics say Jesus was crucified here, and uh, I, I tend to believe that Gordon's Calvary next to the bus stop uh, is much more uh, a realistic answer because the tomb is right there, everything is right there according to the Bible predictions, uh, uh, to the Bible description, not prediction. And uh, they argue about where Jesus was born. They argue about everything. But how many of you remember the day when you saw Jesus crucified for your sins? And you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and ask Him to save you. If you've done that, would you say amen this morning? That wasn't much of an amen. Can we try that again? If Jesus has saved you today, could you say amen to that? You saw through faith that what Jesus did on the cross paid the price for your sins. You saw through faith the empty tomb and the promise of the resurrection and eternal life. You saw through faith the worthlessness of yourself and of your own works. And you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And He saved you. You say, how can, I, how can you know you're saved? Because this book says so. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The problem is we got a problem defining the word believe. Believe is not just mental assent, my friend. Uh, In street preaching, we've used the example of the chair. And I would draw a little stick figure of the the pushing on the chair and and examining the chair. And and none of those is faith. If you you believe the chair will hold you up, what are you going to do? You sit in it. Now, how many was that a new revelation? You never thought about that before. You see, that's what the song that Brother C.J.'s kids sang. You, you have to have that childlike faith. You see, it's not about you. It's about God. That's why It Is Finished is up there. Every time I look at that, I still think, uh, I can't remember exactly who it was. Somebody said, Oh, the auditorium's finished. Pastor put it up there. No, it has nothing to do with finishing the work of rebuilding the auditorium. It is a reminder. It is the three greatest words in history. In the Hebrew that Jesus spoke, it was only one word. It is finished. The work of salvation is done. And this beatitude here promises us, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, most of the time when we read this verse, this is what we think. I got to work on being pure in heart. I got to work on being clean. If I will make myself clean, then I'm going to see God. 
I want to challenge you that's not a proper understanding of this passage. How many of you have sinned since last Sunday? So, making yourself clean, I just want to pop that bubble if we can. You're not doing a very good job. Because none of us can. That's not what it's talking about. I want us to look at one, not the only one, but one of the commentaries on this passage, I believe, is Hebrews chapter 10. And I would like you to turn there to Hebrews chapter 10, where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. And we want to wrap this up, but I want you to keep in your mind, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, because I believe that this passage here will give us a better and more proper understanding of what it means not only to have a pure heart, but to actually see God. How many of you have looked at something and didn't know what you were looking at? You know, they have those pictures there uh, where uh, if you stare at it long enough, something's supposed to be there. I think they're lying. I don't care how long I stare at that thing. There's nothing there except what looks like somebody on uh, under the influence of something other than common sense drew little circles and colored them all in. I mean, that's all I see. I mean, I try to pull it this way and that way and turn it up. It doesn't work. Because most of the time, we, we just do not see the way we ought to see. We do not understand the way we ought to understand. Seeing is comprehension of the light waves around you to which your optic nerve has been tuned by God to receive and to process. You better be thankful to God that he narrowed the spectrum of light waves that our eyes are sensitive to. Otherwise, you would see the radio transmissions and you would see shortwave and FM and AM and and I got to believe that those FM rock stations look just as would look terrible just like the music is it would bother you and as it's transmitted through space and and I'm just glad we can't see all that but there are some things that God wants us to see and I I want us to start in verse 19, and we're breaking into the middle of a passage here, but again, the, the context is we're looking at, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now, the Bible tells us in verse 19 here that we have boldness to enter into the holiest may, uh, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the holiest was the special place in the temple and the tabernacle before it, which housed the Ark of the Covenant. And upon the Ark of the Covenant, the lid uh, for the Ark of the Covenant was an item that we call the mercy seat. And that mercy seat was where the blood was sprinkled on the Day of Atonement. And again, the word atonement is agreement made, is the rolling back. Uh, The New Testament word is redemption, the purchase price paid. And so that mercy seat sat on the Ark of the Covenant, and on the Day of Atonement, the priest would sprinkle the blood of a bullock for himself, And then later on, the blood of a baby goat representing the nation of Israel. And the beatitude before this one is last week's sermon. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You see, it's God's mercy that gives us access to God. It's not because of what we have done. It's because of what He has done. And that access to God is going to do something here. It says we have the right to enter in by a new and living way. We are going through on Thursday night a series on searching for the true church and what the characteristics, what the, what we call Baptist distinctives, uh, are, uh, the biblical Uh, characteristics of that church, and one of them is the priesthood of the believer, that each believer is directly responsible to God for their own relationship. I am so glad to tell you, uh, most of the time people ask, they say, do you have any priest in your church? Do I call you father? I said, my kids call me father, but uh, I'd appreciate it if you didn't call me father, because I'm not your father. Uh, uh, There's only one father. According to Jesus, and that's God. But I I am so glad to tell you, don't confess your sins to me. Now, if you're struggling with something and you need some help and counsel, hey, that's what pastor's here for. We will make time, even in spite of the roof project. We're going to do, because that's important. But let me tell you something. This new and living way is you take your sin directly to God. Because you see, Open Door Bible Baptist Church didn't die for you. Jesus did. I have to get my sins taken care of. You know, I've often asked people who believe that they can... I said, okay, you go and you confess your sins to this man, uh, this priest, and 
He has power to forgive you for your sins, to absolve them. And you say, yes. Well, what does he do with his sins? Oh, well, he goes to the priest that's higher than him. Oh, okay, well, let's climb the ladder. What does he do with his sins? Well, and finally we get to the point to where it's confessing your sins to a man who has God's power to forgive your sins. I said, that's not in the Bible. Even the Pharisees understood that only God can forgive sins. You see, it's God's mercy that gives us forgiveness and allows us direct access to God through prayer. You say, I just wish God would speak to me. Get reading. My Bible's about 1,500 pages, and every word of it is God speaking to me. You say, well, what about those verses like Brother C.J. referred to in Sunday school where it's just a bunch of hard names? Well, let me tell you something. Most Bibles have a little pronunciation guide, and you can play with that if you want. But the thing you need to understand is those names were put in there because whether you can pronounce them or not, and most of us cannot pronounce them. I'm with Brother C.J. on that. They were real people who did real things, who are reaping the eternal rewards of this life, whether good or evil. That's why those names are in there. And by the way, if they were reading the book and our names were in there, They would think they were just as strange and unpronounceable as we do theirs. That's just part of history. Amen? Free. Won't cost anything. Nothing to do with the sermon this morning. But let's get back here. It says, we have an high priest, and we need to draw near with a true heart. Now, what does the word true mean? Honest? Clean? Um, The word pure means not mixed with anything else, free from admixture or adulteration, unmixed, unalloyed, often qualifying names of colors, not mixed with or not having in or upon it anything that defiles, corrupts, or impairs, unsullied, untainted, clean, visibly or optically clear, Spotless, stainless. That's the Oxford English Dictionary's definition of the word pure. Now, the Bible says here that the pure in heart are blessed because they're going to see God. Verse 22 says, let us draw near. With a true heart. This is what we call parallel passage. It's talking about the same thing. And how do we do that? It says, in full assurance of faith. 
The example I started out with this morning is that of salvation. You have to see yourself as a sinner in order to get saved. Amen? You have to see Jesus as the Savior in order to believe on Him. Amen? The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Those are the biblical requirements for salvation. It's not going to church. It's not doing this. It's not getting baptized. It's not any of these things that people say that it is. It is understanding that Jesus is God. He has the right to determine what is right and wrong. And when I am weighed in His balance, I come up short. For all have sinned. What's the rest of that verse say? Say it out loud. For all have sinned and and come short of the glory of God. Do you remember the day that you actually saw that and understood it? Now, you're not going to hear Joe Olstein talking about that stuff. Because that will make you feel bad. Somebody said, Preacher, you like making me feel bad. No, I don't. But if making you a little uncomfortable on Sunday morning will get you to spend enough time with this book called the Bible to get saved, then I get to spend all eternity with you. And so, I I, want to make you uncomfortable. I don't enjoy it. But if you're not here and you don't have your eternity settled, I, I hope you're uncomfortable. But I'll tell you how you can get it. You see, the Bible says we cannot draw near to God without a full assurance of faith. There is an awful lot that goes on in the name of Christianity today has nothing to do with the Bible. One of my favorite little sayings to repeat is that if everything were actually in the Bible that everyone said was in the Bible, there'd be no library in the world big enough to hold the book. But if you'll read what's in the Bible, the first thing you're going to be faced with is your sin. The second thing you're going to be faced with is your inability to do anything about it. But then comes the good part. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's His mercy. You see, there are no other ways of salvation. If you want to know where all the roads lead but one... They have an entrance ramp to the broad way and to the wide path that leadeth unto destruction, wide gate. But there's only one way to eternal life, and that is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I've met people over the years, and they'll they'll, they'll say, well, you know, I, I just got to thinking about this thing. 
And I, I just can't understand that Jesus is the only way to heaven when we have all these other religions and there's good people. Have you met a good person? How many of you, before you were saved, people say, Ah, he's a good guy. But you knew better, didn't you? Oh, she's a good woman. Uh, You know better about yourself, didn't you? That's why you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the world's definition of good is not good enough. It's got to be God's definition. You see, God did not allow, does not allow, human reasoning to influence His truth. Because you can meet someone, and every one of us have done this on our own, If you want to do something bad enough, you'll justify it. Isn't that true? I mean, let's just be honest today. If you want to do something, if you set your heart on something, you will justify whatever it takes to get it. That's why people steal. That's why they drive like maniacs. I remember one time we found a little recording of some... uh, uh, They were religious actors and they were doing a little thing and somebody recorded it. And it was about driving to the missions conference and how one guy cut them off and they got late and... He's sitting there saying really nasty things about the gas guy. You made me late for church, bozo, and all this. And I mean, it was hilarious. But what they were trying to illustrate, the point is, even in trying to do something good, we often justify wrong behavior. You see, that's why you have to hold fast, have a full assurance of faith is because the Word of God is the only item in this world that is sharp enough and deep enough to pierce to the thoughts, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. We can paint something very good that's very evil. I've often used this example, a little melodramatic, but you know who fed more hungry people than anybody else in the city of Chicago during the Depression? It wasn't the government. It wasn't FDR. It was Al Capone, the gangster, the murderer. He needed the goodwill of the people So they would look the other way when he was doing all of his bad stuff. And he was a good guy. He liked to help people. I don't like to see people go hungry. Does that mean Al Capone's going to be in heaven? I'm not taking that bet. Neither should you. 
because he never did one thing respecting the person of Jesus Christ. Because if he had, he wouldn't have been doing the other things he was doing. You see, it is God that keeps us saved. We often try to serve God, and we'll deal with this as we get down through this passage here. That we, we mess up. How many of you have ever sinned trying to be obedient to God? All of you have if you've ever tried. Because human effort isn't good enough. That's why you have to have God's effort in you. Uh, that's called mercy, by the way. Amen. You see, these Beatitudes build on each other. You can't have the next one until you get the first one down. But it tells us that if we're going to draw nigh with the true heart, we've got to have a full assurance of faith. We've got to understand that there is only one way of salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to challenge you today. Every decision you make in your life is attached to that one. Everything you do is attached, should be, whether you recognize it or not, it is attached to your decision to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we do. You say, well, preacher, there's some things in my life that really aren't attached to that decision. Shouldn't be. Well, that's what we call sin. Amen? And that's what we got to ask God to forgive us. If we confess our sins, what? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because He's the one that did the saving. He's the only one that can keep you saved. It's all about Jesus. That's what a full assurance of faith is is trusting only in Him. What's the next phrase there? It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. How many of you have heard that? If you'll do something nice for me, I'll do something nice for you. Come on, give and take. That's the way it works. You know, the people who use that all the time, you know what they're normally doing? They use that just before they start taking. Isn't that the way it works? You see, motives. Hidden agendas. Those are the things that the nightmares of this life are made out of. Isn't that true? That's where betrayal comes in. That's where manipulation and the most evil things of man's heart, it comes from our heart, which is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, 
And the Bible says that if we're going to draw near to God with a true heart, it's got to be in full assurance of faith. That's talking about understanding our eternity, having our salvation locked in based on the Word of God, not on what I think. And the next thing is having our conscience sprinkled, it says... having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. I can't put it in words. But we all know what it is to have someone take advantage of us because they're trusting in our good nature. If you've ever had that happen, and I'll guarantee you have, that hurts in a way nothing else hurts, doesn't it? You see, let me just read you First Peter one twenty two. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren... See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. You see, when I ask God to sprinkle my, to be sprinkled from an evil conscience, I'm no longer trying to get what I want. And this is what the whole world is seeking. It's called unconditional love. There's only one place in the entire universe you can get unconditional love. You've got to go to God Himself to get it. He will give it to you. But I want to challenge you It's so powerful, you can't hold on to it. You have to pass it on. God's love was never meant just for you to enjoy yourself. It was meant for you to be a conduit to transfer to someone else. You ever gotten a hold of something that was so good you had to share it? I mean, ladies do that with recipes all the time. Oh, you got to try this. This is so easy and so good. Why can't we do that with the love of God? Can I challenge you today? It's because we don't have enough of it ourselves. By the way, could you get this without seeing God? You see, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Paul put it this way, for me, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why do you think God used Paul to reach so many people and to get so many things accomplished? 
It's because Paul wasn't trying to accomplish anything for Paul. He was just serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a totally free man, even when he was locked in a prison cell, to give God's love to other people. As he wrote those letters to Timothy, that young preacher who was nervous and worried, pastoring that great church in the wicked city of Ephesus, Could you imagine reading those words from the Apostle Paul? Say, man, this solves the problems. This this answers the questions of my ministry. And every preacher that has ever read his Bible has read those words and been blessed by them. I got a little card from Brother Clayton. uh, Found it on my desk yesterday after we walked in. He had a picture in there. From our first three days of church services. And I have little Peter standing by me. He was uh, almost two, right at two years old. And Sarah was in my arms, just barely a year old. Now they're both married with their own families and kids. And he said, thank you for being a friend to me all these years. And I'm sitting there going, wow. He's the guy that loaned us $50,000 so we could save the building. (laughs) And he's thanking me for being his friend. But you see, that's the way real love works. We're not trying to get anything. We're trying to serve God. But you see... That's got to come from the inside out. It's not something you can put on. It's not something you can pretend about. It's something you've got to get close enough to God to get a bucket full for yourself. But you're going to find out you can't hold on to that. It's too powerful. Because it's meant to be passed on. And you know what you'll find? You'll never empty that bucket. Because as soon as you pour some out, God pours twice as much back in. See, this is what it means to be pure in heart. But there's one more here. It says, Let us draw nigh with the true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. If you're clean on the inside, you're going to be clean on the outside. This old don't judge a book by its cover thing, that's human reasoning, my friend. That's not Bible. Oh, well, it says, but God looketh on the hearts. Yeah, but did you read the rest of the passage? The people that Samuel was looking at were the best looking guys in the room. They were big, strong, mature men. They were valiant men. In fact, one of those men that Samuel looked at before he anointed David to be the king would be a killer of Goliath's brother. But it was little David, the youngest runt of them all, the pretty boy. It says he was very comely. He was a beautiful little boy. You don't think of beautiful little boys going out there and killing giants, do you? But that's what David was. 
That's why Goliath laughed at him. We think soldiers, three days growth of beard and a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and talking like a sewer pipe, that's a good soldier. Now, I challenge you, some of the best soldiers in the history of this country were clean, living, godly men. Not all of them. You see, God wants to use people who bring honor to Him. If you're clean on the inside, He's going to make you clean on the outside. That doesn't mean you're going to be sinlessly perfect. But we go back to that definition of pure. The last part of that definition was visibly or optically clear. I've often tried to give this example during counseling. I say, Pastor, you know, I'm, I got a problem. I said, well, let, let's just start here. See, sometimes people believe that in order to help them with their problem, it's best to find a counselor that's had the same problem. You heard that before? Could I challenge you? A person that's had the same problem is not always the best person to help you get past it. If you've had marriage problems and you're trying to solve your marriage problems, do you want a counselor who's been divorced five times? What was that? Elizabeth, somebody, uh, a movie star, eight different husbands, whatever. Nobody went to her for marriage counseling. It was foolish, dumb. Why go to Hollywood? And yet we watch these movies and go, Oh, I want my, my, the man I marry, I want him to look just like that. You really want him putting on more makeup than you do, ladies? By the way, if he's got better hair than you do, stay away from it. That's just a little advice from Pastor Montoro, all right? Listen, that's not what you want. There's no such thing as Hollywood love except in the scripts and on the screen. If you want something real, you've got to go to God. Because he has what is real and what lasts. If you want help, you've got to go to the person that has the victory over the problem. And Jesus is the ultimate victor. And he has the solution. And he says he'll clean you up if you'll follow his word. Some, uh, I've had many people over the years and they'll say, Pastor, what is your recovery program at your church? And I'll say, well, not trying to be smart aleck here, but let's start with Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night. And uh, once you get used to that, we're going to add visitation to it. And why don't we get started on discipleship right away, which is a weekly Bible study to go through every major Bible doctrine. And I really believe if we get started down that path, we can see some recovery. Because the problem is you go into a special place with all nice people and they take care of all your problems and then, then they've got to kick you out. 
And when they do, the same problems that were there are waiting for you when you get out. But if you can learn to live where you are in the fellowship of godly believers, guess what? You'll get permanent victory over those problems in your life. That's, that's what this passage is talking about here. It, it says, draw nigh with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, here's what you're going to do if you want to see God. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For He is faithful that promised. You know, I am much more sure of my salvation today than I was over 30 years ago when I got saved. Actually, over 40 years ago. You see, I see more clearly how true the Word of God is today than I did when I was a young teenager and got saved. And I understand that faith in this book, because I've watched as a preacher... I don't like reading books about preaching. I like reading books about living. I like reading lives. I like watching people live. And this is one of the questions I often ask people of different religions. I say, what has your religion done for the world in which we live? How many wars do we have going on, major conflicts on the face of the earth today? And how many of them is Islam involved in, in one way or the other? How is your religion working for you, my friend? I don't like the way that one works. I'm a Baptist. And in spite of other liars who claim to be Baptists, like former presidents and great personalities, we're Bible Baptists. We follow the Bible, and no Bible Baptist has ever raised an army to do anything. No person believing the Bible has ever taken up the sword to defend the gospel. The most persecuted group of people in all of history since New Testament times has been the church of Jesus Christ. The number one black market item in a former Soviet Union? Not Levi Jeans. This book right here. The Roman Empire, which murdered. No one knows how many Christians. Those numbers cannot be ascertained historically. Less than 300 years from the time Jesus walked the face of the earth, the Roman Empire had an emperor who claimed to be a Christian because there were more Christians in his empire than there were heathens at that point. That doesn't mean that Constantine was a Christian. But there was so much of the Bible influence in his kingdom that he decided to become a Christian, or at least use the name so he could hold on to the, to the empire. Who won that battle? Never raising a sword. The believers in this book. Amen. 
It says, hold fast that profession. You can trust what the Bible says. What's the next one? It says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Have you ever had anyone come along and just help you serve Christ more? See, that's what church is about. It's once your relationship with God is clear, then it's your job to help other people see, get their relationship with God clear. The Bible says sometimes even provoking them to love and good works. Let me tell you, that's an art form few people excel at. Provoking, that's one we're all good at. But unto love and good works. Ah. Now that is something only God can do in your life. Amen. Do you think that's what it means they shall see God? Because they'll see clearly enough to go through all of this garbage in this world in which we live. And help other people serve God more. Look what it says yet. We're going to go on. It says... Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Now, as a Baptist preacher, that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Don't forget church. Amen? No. We do not have a roll call. We do not have people at the door that check whether you've been in church or not. In fact, I've told some people over the years, I'm not going to chase you down. The people that come on Sunday morning and Thursday, Sunday night and Thursday night come because they want to come. And that's why we want you to come. Church is a great habit. Work on it. But if you really want it to be a part of your life, you start drawing close to Christ with a true, with a pure heart. And you're going to want to be here because you're going to see... God in the assembly of believers. You're going to see God saving souls and changing lives. You're going to see God change your life. That's what the assembly of ourselves together is. And then the last one is says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now, people have taken that passage all kinds of different ways. But I'll tell you simply what it's saying. If you're saved, you cannot go back to the world where you used to live. If you do, you're giving testimony that you've refused Jesus' sacrifice for your sins. That's what the passage is simply saying. I've had every year, I'll get somebody call me up. Uh, Pastor, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. It says uh, that you'll have no forgiveness. And it says if we sin willfully, there's no sacrifice for sin. Whoa, wait a minute. Here's the problem. Who saved you? Jesus did. What kind of life did he say he would give you the moment he saved you? Eternal life, you can never undo it. So if it can be undone, you don't have the real thing. And you never did. 
And you're giving testimony to the fact that you never did and you don't want it. Because I've watched people slip and fall. In fact, I had a, someone say to me years ago, he says, I just keep coming back. I can't stop. I said, that's the Holy Spirit of God drawing you back. That's evidence that you're saved. But why do I keep failing? Uh, welcome to the human race, my friend. That's what we all do. But we serve together in the fellowship of believers. And we can see God doing works in lives today. And what does God's people say? You see, blessed are the pure in heart. It's not you keeping your heart clean, it's Jesus keeping your heart clean. You're going to mess up. Admit it. Confess it. Get forgiveness and get back in. The evidence of those things is going to be a greater faith in Jesus Christ, holding tighter to that which already holds you. Amen. It's going to be helping others find Christ. It's going to be being in church. And it's going to be knowing I'm never going back where I came from because Jesus has given me so much more. I hope you can see that. Blessed are the pure in heart. Here's the blessings. You're going to see God. You're going to see His work in your life. You're going to see His work in other lives. You're going to see His work in the church. And you're going to see that you're never going back. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you.